glad y'all are here today for sure. You braved the uh, the first of our fall, you know, first prelude to winter, I guess it is, a little bit. Kind of gives you a, a look-see. Uh, <clears throat> better not be no complaining, though, because y'all were fussing about it not raining this all summer long. <laughs> Amen. I've had to tell myself, don't be fussing. Don't, don't complain about the rain, for goodness sake. Amen. Glad you're here today, for sure. Uh, continuing, normally we would, during Advent, if you're here expecting an Advent-themed message, uh, you're not going to get it today. <laughs> uh, traditionally, we do uh, observe Advent, and that's why we have the reading and the lighting of the candle and, and all those sorts of things, but uh, today would be the Sunday to talk about hope uh, as we anticipate. Advent is all about anticipation of the, the birth of the Christ child. Right, so they're looking forward to uh, what's going to happen on Christmas Day. Uh, but, and we will get there. Uh, but right now, we are continuing in a series of messages through the Minor Prophets. Uh, books of the Bible that we usually don't read, uh, that we usually can't pronounce the names of, and that may be a part of why we never read them, because we, can't, we don't know how to pronounce them. Today, though, is a different story. Today's a different story. It's about Jonah. Uh, I love... I love you, I love that word, or those words rather, but that's also the message of all of Scripture. All of Scripture is God's message of I love you, right? That's what he's communicating to his people, to those he's seeking to redeem. He's looking to communicate with us a message of his love and his grace and all of that he wants us to know and be aware of, and and that's no more true than in these books called Minor Prophets. Uh, They're minor only in the sense that they're short. For instance, Jonah today is four chapters long, and they're pretty short chapters. It's a pretty action-packed story. But God doesn't just speak through prophets, people, right? He speaks through other people. We know that God speaks through others, that they may uh, say something to us, and we, we, we believe that that's God speaking, right? Some of us, we have dreams. Some of you have dreams, visions. Scripture says that's how God speaks to his people, in dreams and visions through others, through circumstances, through events that happen in our life, God uses to speak to us in ways. All of those things God uses in Scripture and in other ways, for sure, for sure, for sure. The problem is that most of those are left up to some sort of interpretation by me. And when I have to to figure out, was that God or was that just too much hot sauce on my omelet this morning? Uh, You know, because that could be the problem some days. And, you know, so, so if it's left up to me to figure out if that was God or not, that's the problem. That's why today you're in luck. If you've never heard God speak to you, if you don't think I've ever heard God speak, today it is a good thing you're in church because he speaks today. Because every time you open Scripture, God is speaking. This we know as, as followers of Jesus, as Christians, we understand that this is God's word, that this is his word to his people. So every time we read Scripture, we know that that's God speaking. The problem is, are we listening a lot of times when we read it? But today, I just want to encourage you that as we read the book of Jonah, know that God is speaking today, even today, to you and to me as we look at this story that we probably know too well, uh, but we'll work on that. I've, I've titled it Gracious Love because that's exactly how I understand what's going on here is God is is showing showing Jonah 
His gracious love. He's speak, God, I believe, is speaking to one person here. Jonah. And, well, maybe, maybe to you too. About his gracious love. <clears throat> you see, Jonah was a reluctant prophet. He was a reluctant. He, he was a prophet for sure. He was well recognized as a prophet. But he didn't want to do the job that God had called him to do. I don't know if you've ever had that experience or not where, you, where God really asked you to do something or, or someone else maybe asked you to do something. I don't know, right? Well, that's where Jonah finds himself. He is reluctant. But Jonah is actually, not only is he a, a prophet, for sure, but he is also one of the first missionaries. Jonah, you see, goes to, to minister to foreigners, people in another country, not Israelites. Up to now, well, there are only two of the prophets who, who preach to, who minister to people other than the Israelites. Jonah's one of them. Jonah's one of those who goes out to actually... He's sent to the conquerors of Israel, right? He's going to the, the people who, who war with him. He's going to their, the enemy, Jonah, a prophet, in the sense that he spoke the truth. A lot of, a lot of times we get, we get that mixed up about prophecy. We think it's all about telling the future. Prophecy oftentimes is simply speaking the truth, speaking God's truth into a situation that's prophecy. That's, you may think of it as preaching. I'm not calling myself a prophet. Don't misunderstand me. But what I'm saying is that's what the, the practice of prophecy, being a prophet is, telling the truth, God's truth to people. Jonah, you see, is a story. The book, Jonah, is a story of a man named Jonah who knew the love and grace of God and yet refused to obey it. Refused to obey it. That's why we call him a reluctant prophet. Now, you may think of Jonah as just a children's story. That's how oftentimes we think of the Veggie Tales, right? Of the cartoon of the of Jonah and the whale. That's how what you know. You say Jonah, people think whale. Uh, that, that's but there's so much more to the story. In fact, Jesus Jesus himself didn't think of it as a child a children's story. Jesus referred to Jonah again and again as a real person who lived in a real day and spent three real days inside of a real fish and did. A real ministry. As a matter of fact, in Matthew 12, he says, But Jesus replied, Only an evil adult. He's speaking to the Pharisees and Sadducees who want him to do another do another trick, Jesus. Doing another one of your, your hocus-pocus magic tricks, right? Jesus says, Only an evil, adulterous generation would demand a miraculous sign again, like y'all keep doing again. But the only sign I'm going to give them is a sign of the prophet Jonah. Sign of the prophet Jonah. And what was that sign? That sign was to proclaim the truth. And the sign of the prophet Jonah was that, well, we'll see what the sign of the prophet Jonah is. We'll see what happened due to the ministry of the prophet Jonah. We know the story, right? Swallowed by a fish. But Jesus uses this story as much more than that. You see, the story of Jonah is a story of salvation of the Gentiles. The story of Jonah is a revival story. It's a revival story. It really is. It's not just a fish tale. It's much more than that. See, Jonah's time of ministry began around 755 B.C., before Christ. So, so we're in the, under the rule of <clears throat> Jeroboam II, uh, which if you know ancient history, which most of us don't unless we have to read it, uh, and most of us had to do that a long time ago, and we haven't read it since. But, but Jeroboam II, he was, that was the time, if you were ever going to be an Israelite, this is the time to be an Israelite. 
because everything is busting at the seams. The businesses are booming, the crops, the everything. They're experiencing God's blessings in ways that it blows the mind. The, the, the nation of Israel is wealthy beyond measure, richest country in the world at this time, and they are just they are just living in God's blessing. They're just reaping it in. But and this is also the season of those prophets, Joel, Hosea, Amos. Joel, Hosea, Amos, and, and Jonah, you know, they're, they're, they're telling the people, right? Remember what we talked about Amos? What he's telling the people is that even though it's going great, does not mean that God approves of how you're living. Even though you're experiencing blessing, you're rich, you're, everything is coming up roses for you, everything. Don't mistake that for God's approval of your life, right? So all the prophets are killing the Israelites at this time. Don't, don't confuse things. Because you're not living the way you're supposed to live, right? They're sleeping on the coats of the poor. They're they're laying in ivory beds. They're taking advantage of people. They're they're twisting the scales so that they can get rich, right? Everybody's taking advantage of everybody during this season. So there's plenty to go around. There's plenty to go around. It's into this setting that Jonah is sent to Nineveh. And so the four chapters really do break out as four scenes of a movie anything else or anything else the first scene Jonah is running away from God we see it It, Jonah is (coughs) commanded by God to go to Nineveh to preach Jonah whose name means dove it means the sign of peace right he's sent he's sent to be a a word of peace to the people of Nineveh and he does as soon as God tells him he goes the other way Right? God says go, and he says, all right, I'm out. I'm gone. And he, he runs away, right? He runs away from God, away from God's call on his life. He hopped on a ship, headed for Tarshish, the opposite direction of Nineveh. Nineveh is, is uh, I believe it's Mosul in Iraq. I think that's where, the, the, where it is today. Uh, I'm not sure about that, so you can, if you Google it, you'll correct me. Uh, but don't do it out loud. Uh, but... <laughs> But I believe that's where it is. So, so it's, he's in the ocean going the opposite direction. So he's, he's getting as far away from he, as he can from what God has called him to be. Storm came up in the ship. Now, he's in a cargo ship. These guys are not, storms are not a stranger to them. And, and, but this is a storm beyond compare, right? This is a storm worse than they've ever seen before. They begin to panic, series of events. Jonah gets thrown overboard, thinking, oh, that's the end of Jonah. That's the end of this story, right? Well, Jonah hoped that it would be that way. One of my favorite movies is uh, Forrest Gump. Uh, I watch it at least probably once a month I watch part of it. Uh, It's because it's on all the time. But but, uh, Forrest Gump, you know the scene when when Jenny breaks his heart and he starts running. You remember that part where he just puts on his Nikes and he starts running and he doesn't know why. And and people start following him and he's running for months. He runs across the country and turns around and goes back across the country and turns around and he winds up in the desert, and he just stops one day. And everybody's like, well, why did he stop running? He said, I don't think I'm done. I think I'm done. That's where Jonah's at. He thinks he's done. He's done. Yeah, like, I'm, I'm, I've run away from God, and what happens? God shows up. I'm running away. I'm trying to get away from him. I'm just done. Just throw me overboard. Let's, let's end this. Jonah's done. But God's not. God's not done. Two. Scene two. The big fish. 
swallows him, right? We, we think of it as a whale. We don't know. The Bible calls it a fish. Swallows him. He lives in there three days, three nights. And in that, he is confronted by God. He realizes his sin. He repents. In the middle of his rebellion, you see, God, God finds him and restores him. God finds him and restores him. Jonah chapter 2. Oh, I thought I had it in there. Jonah chapter 2, verse 7 says, When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your temple, in the belly of the fish, and he prayed, repentance to God, and God heard his prayer. God heard his prayer. And Jonah gets a second chance. Many of you have gotten second chances. Some of you are living on your second, third, fifth, 1500th second chance, right? God loves second chances. God is a God of second chances. He loves giving out second chances because God loves a repentant heart. And when you when we repent and turn to him, you know, when, when my kids were little and they made a mistake, uh, I would often say, oh, it's okay, it's all right, come on, let's, uh, but, <clears throat> but you don't get to play right now. You, you didn't act right. right. There was still a consequence. It's not what God does to Jonah. God says, get back to work. Like, he pushes him right back in. The fish spit him up on dry land. Chapter 3, scene 3, walking with God. He's, he, he repents. His heart is changed. He goes back in to do what God had called him to do. God didn't say, you got to sit this one out. You just, I'll, I'll call you when I need you. No. Get back to it, man. Jonah began by going a day's journey, verse 4 says in chapter 3. A day's journey into the city. And his sermon was pretty simple. This was it. Forty more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. That's it. Forty days and Nineveh will be overthrown. We don't know why the people believed him as they did, but the king heard about this proclamation that Jonah was making, and he repented, Scripture says, that the king's heart changed. The king of Assyria, violent king, violent people, their hearts changed hearts change. We don't know why. I was reading this week and, you know, different, uh, and I always like to read, uh, especially when we're going through the minor prophets, I read like Jewish uh, writers and stuff like that. And one Jewish writer from way back when, he said, he, he explained it this way. He said the, the city of Nineveh was named after a previous uh, king, um, and I, I can't pronounce all the, the words there, but uh, our previous ruler and his name meant fish. It was a town named after a man who was named after fish. And so it was, in a sense, fish town, right? Fish town is what it was thought of. And God sent a man from the belly of a fish to go and preach in fish town, which I thought was a pretty awesome way that God would work things out, right? We give him a story to tell in the city that, hey, you got to believe me. I've been in a fish. But in because <clears throat> we make up fish stories, but Jonah didn't have to. He had one. He had lived one. He had lived one. You wouldn't, we wouldn't know why, but the, the, the Nineveh repented. The king turned the whole city into a time of repentance. They a sackcloth and ashes on their heads, and they, they, they sought out God. They, they, it was a miracle. Like, what else would it take to turn the hearts of those people to God? A miracle is the only thing. The people responded. Responded. And God relented. And God relented. He said, Amen. Now, 
we've talked about the Assyrians off and on, and, and you probably don't know, we don't know a lot about the Assyrians, but, but what we do know, there are some historical records of, of their cruelty. Now, this may get a little bit graphic for some of you, but um, just as a, as a description of some, some of the things they did. When they went in to capture a city, well, there were city-states back then, and when they, when they went to capture one, if you didn't surrender, if you went to war with them, they would be even more violent. The hope was is that it was better to surrender and not fight. Like people would be quick to surrender as the stories of their brutality got out. You see, if the Assyrians were modern-day warriors, they would be, war crimes would be the beginning of their punishment, right? Be the beginning. You see, when, when, when they would capture a city, if they went to war, they would, the soldiers who survived, when they went into the city to take it, they would take the women and children, obviously, uh, and rape them and kill them, the, the women and children. The men who, who survived the battle, they would take into the desert often and skin them alive. Skin them alive and bury them up to their necks. <clears throat> Excruciating pain, unimaginable pain. If you, that did not kill you, right? They would take their tongues and pull out and put a stake through their tongues so they, they couldn't close their mouth. So they would dehydrate in the desert, lead them to go insane, die of insanity in a sense. But they weren't done with them because after they were dead, they would cut their heads off and they took their heads back to the city to make a monument of the skulls of the men that they had killed. And they would wrap that monument in their skin. These were brutal people. Brutal. I mean, there's unimaginable the things that, I mean, if you read the descriptions of the, the ways that they they inflicted pain on people, torture and murder of people, it's just it's just un, un, unrealistic. I mean, you can't imagine the things that they did. Why? What would drive someone to do those things? And yet they repented, and God said, all right, forget that. You think of anyone in our day and age, anybody in the last thousand years, is the worst person you can think of, a terrorist or uh, Hitler or any, you you name them. They didn't measure up to these folks. And God said, okay, okay. They repented. That's gracious love. That is gracious love. And that's what chapter 4 is all about. And I think in chapter 4 is where we get to what the story is. There's, there's probably there's 120 sermons in the book of Jonah alone. <clears throat> chapter 4, I think, is the chapter that kind of summarizes the whole book point of the whole book is found in chapter 4. So I would like to read that with you. Because um, <clears throat> up until now, it's just been a simple story of revival. A simple story. Like, that's a simple story, right? It's hearts being changed. But this chapter explains the purpose of Jonah's story being in the scriptures for us. <clears throat> so they've repented. They've turned. God has relented. Said, okay, good. Verse 1, but to Jonah, this seemed very wrong, and he got angry. He got mad because God was going to let him off the hook. He prayed to the Lord, Isn't this what I said, Lord? Isn't this what I said when I was still at home? That is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarsia. I didn't want to do this because I knew this was going to happen. I knew you were a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love. <laughs> Jonah knew who he was. A God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it's better for me to die than to live. You see, Jonah's 
Jonah wanted them to be punished. He wanted them to experience God's wrath. And if they couldn't have it, well, he just didn't want to be a part of it. He just didn't want to keep on going. If they weren't going to get theirs, then what's the point? You ever feel that way before? You ever feel like you want somebody to get theirs? You ever, like, like you, maybe you wouldn't go as far as Jonah. You wouldn't say, well, just kill me now. Well, maybe you have said that. Right? Because you were that mad. He might have been afraid of them. He surely hated them. But one thing is for sure, he did not want them to repent. He did not want them to repent. So what did Jonah do? Our God said, is it right for you to be angry? Why are you mad? Why are you mad that I forgave them? Why are you mad that they repented? <clears throat> Jonah had gone out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter. Sat in the shade and waited to see what would happen in the city. See, he's mad, so he's going to go. He says, I know they're going to they're gonna mess up, and God's going to bring down his wrath. I know they're not good people. They're just, it's just a matter of time. I'm going to go and wait. Make me a tent, and I'm just going to watch it happen because I know they're going to they're going to mess up, and God's going to be faithful. That's what he's thinking anyway. Then the Lord provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to give him shade over his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the plant. God is good. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm that chewed the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind, and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, it would be better for me to die than to live. God, why did the worm eat my plant? Why, did, why is this happening to me? Why, God? I, I deserve that plant, right? I des, like, I deserve that. But God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? It is, he said. And I'm so angry, I wish I were dead. Mm. Jonah, you see, is trying to convince, he's, he's giving God the pity party, right? He's giving God, he's trying to teach God a lesson. And God refuses to learn. You ever have that, where you try to teach God something? Maybe it's just your preacher. Uh, but yeah. I try to teach God all the time. That's the way he ought to be. And it usually takes me a little while before I figure out that I'm not so smart. But the Lord said, you've been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and also many He just leaves it there. Like, like did, you didn't grow the plant, but you cared about it. I grew the plant, and it's just a plant to me. But I've grown, I grew these people, these Ninevites, these Assyrians. I grew them. I've been patient with them. I, I'm their creator. Shouldn't I care about them? Shouldn't I care about them if I created them? If I, I've been patient with them all this time, like, Shouldn't I care? Shouldn't I show concern? And he just leaves it hanging there for him. Well, as I thought about this, I, I was resolved with four questions I'd like to share with you today.
the first one gets to this whole thing of deserve, getting what we deserve, right? Like Jonah feeling like, ah, oh God, oh yeah, I got this plant. Ooh, God is good. And then before long, you start to feel like you deserve that plant. You deserve that shade, right? Because, you know. But can you deserve God's love? Can you deserve God's love? Like, who deserves God's love? Is it the person, now we in church here, we, we know, we love each other. We love people who respond to God's grace, right? We, we love people who love people, right? I mean, that's just natural. Y'all came in today, and y'all were probably drinking some coffee together. You're talking about Thanksgiving, the grandkids, the, the kids. The, the, you're talking about what you're getting. You went Black Friday shopping, and you spent too much, or, or whatever. Y'all are in here just having a good old time and, and loving on each other, right? Hugging each other, talking about, oh, that dessert. Oh, they made that turkey, and it was so dry. You know, they were... They were, you were just you were just living you were loving each other just loving each other because you know love what about the people who don't know love what about the people who still need God's grace what are they deserve? what about the people who who know God's grace and yet turned away from it like Jonah what do they need what do they deserve You see, I believe, I believe, and I believe you know it if you've gotten, if you've come near to Christ, if you know the Lord, that the closer you get to Him, the more you realize that everybody deserves grace. Everybody. Because, because you've experienced it. You know what it's about. You want everybody to experience that. You want everybody to experience the love of God. You want everybody to be impacted by that. Because, because you know that you're, you didn't deserve it, right? Like, but he gave it to you anyway. And so, everybody. You want everybody to have it. Everybody deserves a shot at grace. Everybody deserves a shot at grace. I don't care how bad they are, how, how much we want to write them off. Right? I don't care where they're from or what they've done. It doesn't, like everybody, the worst criminal in prison. People ask me, how can we be pro-life? I'm like, because everybody deserves a shot at grace. And if they haven't had it, then they need to live long enough to get it. Everybody deserves a shot at grace. Everybody. don't believe that, then what makes you worthy of God's grace? If everybody doesn't deserve it, then what makes you worthy for it? What makes you deserving of His grace? See, we have to, like, it's one of those hard questions where you have to say, okay, I guess it is everybody. Even though there are some really bad people in this world. But what else is going to change them? What else is going to save them? And if that's true, if everybody does deserve God's grace, then my next question was, then what attitudes should I have towards those who need His grace? How, how should I treat people who need His grace? Not how I want to treat them. <coughs> Jesus told a couple stories in the Bible to show us, to, to teach us, how we are to treat others, people who need grace. 
God provided us a couple of stories. The first one is in Matthew chapter 20, where Jesus talks about a landowner, a man who needed some work in his vineyard, so he went out and hired some people. Didn't have enough people, so he went back out and hired some more. Needed some more people. He went back out and hired some more. He said, is there anybody down there who'll work? And he said, oh, yeah. Said, Go get all of them and bring them. End of the day, time to pay them. Let's line them up. Let's give them their wages, right? The ones who got there early in the day, they're at the end of the line. They're watching everybody get the same amount. They say, ho, 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 ho. We can't all get the same amount. We've been here all day. All day. The landowner says, why do you begrudge my generosity? Like, like I'm the one being generous. Can I be generous? That should be our attitude. Be generous. Be generous with grace. Because that's his, that's God's attitude towards those who need grace. He's generous towards them. Allowing that to happen. Another story that Jesus told. Story of a prodigal son. It's a prodigal son. If you don't know the story, it's probably one everybody knows. But but he, he got his inheritance early, just the, the quick version. Took his inheritance from his father, went and wasted it, came back to his dad, pleading, begging for a job. Dad said, come on, man, I'm glad you're home. I love you, you're my son, you'll always be my son. Let's throw a party. Older brother says, the one who's been there working for dad all along says, oh, no parties, dad. I'm not coming to a party for him after what he did to you. He insulted you, he, he embarrassed our family, I'm not partying with him. Refused to celebrate with his father. Not the attitude to have. How do we treat those? What attitude are we to have towards those who need God's grace? Inviting, right? Bringing them in. Like, yes, more grace for you. More grace for you. That's the only thing that will change a person's heart. More grace for them. John 3, 16 and 17. Jesus said it. Or John said it. John wrote it. For God so loved the world, right, that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever should believe in him, not perish, but have an everlasting life. He didn't send his son into the world condemned to condemn the world, but what? To save the world through him. But to save the world through him. God's desire is to save the world. God's desire is for people to move into faith. God's desire is to love people. That's God's desire. Does he like what people do? No. His desire is to see them repent. See them turn from their ways, turn to him and his way. And if God is working to make this happen, then as a follower of Christ, as one of his followers, what am I supposed to do? I'm supposed to be doing it too. Like if I'm following him, then I'm doing what he's doing. It's like every kid that grew up, wanted to be whatever dad did or whatever mom did. You know, we didn't we didn't know growing up. Whatever we saw people doing, that's what we want to do when we grew up, right? That's, that, that's completely natural. And that's why we do what our Father does. Pursues people. Shares grace upon people. It's not like a child that's just a dream, like one day I'll be what whatever Dad does. Right? It's, not just, it's not just a fantasy. It's a reality. There's a real God really at work in people's lives. Really at work in people's lives question is, the question for us is, how are we involved in sharing his good news? How are we involved? How are we a part of that? Are you a part of that? 
What are you, how are you sharing his good news? Jesus told the story so we understand that the role, our role in this, um, the good Samaritan, the good neighbor, right? The question was, who's the neighbor to the man who was, who was beaten on the side of the road? Was it the, was it the, the priest? Was it the holy people? Was it the, was it the churchy folks? Or was it the person who helped? The person who helped was the one that God approved of, the one who actually did something wasn't the ones who knew what to do and what not to do. It was the one who actually did it. It was the one that God approved of. Matthew 5, 14 says, You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill that cannot be hidden. Cannot be hidden. It can't be hidden. The light of Christ alive in you cannot be hidden. Now, now you may say, but, but nobody notices me. Well, maybe he's not shining too brightly in you. <laughs> that might be a problem. But, but it cannot be hidden. Cannot be hidden. We aren't all evangelists. We aren't. But we all, if you're a follower of Christ, you know what it, it means to be redeemed. We're, we're we're not all prophets, but we all have gifts. We aren't perfect. But if you're if you if you're a Christian, if you know Jesus, then, then you know what you know the pain of sin and the joy of forgiveness. You know that. The question is, who needs to hear it? Who needs to hear it? Who needs to hear what you know? Who, need, who do you know that needs to know that their life is headed towards destruction? Real destruction. I don't mean like this esoteric thing like, like oh, I don't know, I bet you're going to get in financial trouble. No, I mean an eternity in hell kind of destruction. Like, I mean like, like the end, the end. Not like it's gonna, this isn't going to work out well for you. I mean death, eternal death. Who do you know that needs that, needs to hear hope? It needs to hear that grace is available to them, that God loves them and doesn't want to see them die that way and live a life of death for eternity. That's, that's what leads us to the last question, the fourth question, the question that God asked Jonah there in chapter, in chapter 4, verse 11. Should I not have concern for the lost? careful. It's a trick question. <clears throat> it's a trick question. Just like uh, I've got jury duty for, for December, but I was going to get out of it, so I was gonna, supposed to mail the thing in. in uh, you know, Ten days after you get the notice, you're supposed, to, you're supposed to mail it in, but I forgot. It went into the stack of mail, and I never mailed the thing in, and I thought about it like about a week ago, and so I went to the jury commissioner's office, I think is what it, their office is called, uh, and I went in, and I said, uh, I made a mistake threw myself right down there. I was like, I, I messed up. I'm sorry. I was supposed to confirm that I was supposed to, I was going to be able to serve in, on jury and blah, blah, blah. And, and I didn't, but I'm here to tell you that uh, I'm actually, actually I'm here to ask you if I can get out of it. <laughs> and they said, well, 
Are you able to serve? And I went in there for one with one purpose, and that was to get out of. <laughs> and she asked me, "Are you able to serve?" And, I, and I, so I had a choice, you know, because if I if I said yes, I, I was there was there were implications to saying yes, right? If I said yes, then I was going to be on the list, and and my jury juror number was like thirty something, so I knew that yeah, this ain't looking pretty at all. So, so I knew that if I said yes, then mm, this is going to be bad, right? Or I could lie. <laughs> Let's just, I mean, I could just say, no, I'm not able to say. I could just make something up, right? Because I, I knew that if I said yes, then there would be a problem. And so I said, yeah, I can serve. <clears throat> Didn't want to. I knew that there, were, there was going to be a cost associated to it. I knew the answer, right? You, you've, had, you've had questions like that where you knew that if you answered it, honestly, there was going to be a cost involved, right? You've had que- we've all had questions like that. This is one that God left with Jonah, and I believe he's leaving with us. Should I not have concern for the lost? Now, we're quick to say yes, because that's like the obvious answer is yes, but, but just know that... <clears throat> Yes means, okay, then what about that one, and that one, and that one, and that one, right? But still a question that God just leaves there for you. Should I not have concern for the loss? I want to make it easy for you. Uh, if you've experienced the love of God, if you've experienced Christ in your church, then I want you to bring somebody. I want you to invite somebody. To bring them, actually. Don't just tell them, you ought to go to church more often. No, I mean, like, you actually, hey, can I pick you up for church someday? Or, just casually, you know? You ever look for a church? You're not call? You should come to mine. Right? You need a reminder of that. So I made some cards that you can put in your wallet. Uh, and all they say is, join me this Sunday. Join me this Sunday. Um, got the time and address and all that kind of stuff on there. <clears throat> I encourage everybody, stick them in your wallet, put them in your purse, whatever, wherever you're, you're checking out at the grocery store, and they and you say, oh, yeah, you should come to church with me on Sunday. It would be awesome if we went through Bayside, and she's got like a stack of them sitting up there because everybody's been giving them to her. And how awesome would that be, right? That, that Just a simple thing to invite somebody to the relationship that you found, or rather, that found you. You didn't find it. He found you. He's been pursuing you share that with somebody else. So, should I have concern for the lost? I encourage you to pick one of these up. There's a stack of them on the tables, both tables as you're on your way out. Jeannie's um, got a whole bunch of them back there. She'll share with you. Um, just put a couple of them in your purse or in your wallet, whatever. Um, but don't just keep them there. Share them. Give them away. Should I have concern for the lost? God, we thank you for your grace that we don't deserve, but, but oh, Lord, everybody does. We're not special. Everybody deserves to know you, to know your love, God. Oh, Lord, you are so good. Bounding in love, steadfast, rich in mercy, as Jonah calls you. God, we thank you for your goodness.
We love you, Lord. We thank you for your word that teaches us, that reminds us, that calls us, that quickens our spirit. Speak to us today, Lord, as we continue in worship, sharing in a practice of Holy Communion, where we receive your grace in a tangible way of bread and wine, God, that are real, just as real as the grace that you've invested in our lives, as real as the grace that you used to change us, change our hearts, just as real as your love, the love that you ask us to share with others, to tell them about someone, the only one who can change their life. So we are going to share in Holy Communion today. Uh, you don't need to be a member of this church or the United Methodist Church to share. Uh, this is God's gift to his people. Uh, if you've experienced his grace, you want, to, you want to live in relationship with him, then this is the way to do that. Uh, <clears throat> we will use a liturgy that's in your hymnal. It's on page 13 in your hymnals. Uh, we have a, a particular one that is for Advent. When we receive the elements today, we receive through intinction, which means you'll be given a piece of bread, and you'll dip it in the cup, and in that way you receive both elements at the same time. All right?